welcome to So You Want to Be a Leader, really? A Defy Expectations podcast. I'm Helen Honeyset, and we're here to explore the highs and lows of leadership today with our guests and to help you navigate the complexity of being a leader. And we look at everything from the sublime to the ridiculous and everything in between. This week's guest is Juan Taveras, who is a passionate advocate for the advancement of diversity and inclusion. Welcome, Juan. Thank you, Helen. It's great to be here. You can find out more about Juan and the work he does on our website. So visit www.defyexpectations.co.uk. So tell us your story. We love a good story here at Defy. And what is your passion? What's your why to use the term Simon Sinek coined? What gets you up every morning? Yeah, I love this question. So I'll share a brief, very brief sort of bio. I am originally from New York City. I was born in the Dominican Republic and my parents migrated to New York City in the mid 80s when I was very young. And so I grew up in a very large (laughs) city, very, very diverse, culturally diverse city. Yet, because I, I grew up in Washington Heights, which is a very Dominican community for anyone that isn't, isn't familiar with New York City, the northern tip of Manhattan is uh, called Washington Heights, and it's uh, populated by very many Dominican families. So I grew up around my own culture, right? So speaking Spanish, eating Dominican food, and listening to Dominican music, but in the backdrop of this vastly diverse space. So from a very early age, I was exposed to a lot of different cultures and languages and even going to school. It was like a melting pot of all these different perspectives and ideas and ways of being. So I I share that because from a very early age, I was aware of difference and I was aware of there's more than one way (laughs) to do things, to think and believe, and those things can coexist. So fast forward now to college, I went to Syracuse University in upstate New York, and suddenly I am the minority in this group, right? So I believe at the time when I went to school, the Latino population at Syracuse University hovered between two and 3% of the student body. So a very small group of Latinos, we pretty much knew all each other. <laughs> we sought each other out. We knew who we were, but it was a culture shock, like a reverse culture shock for me, because suddenly I don't have as many Spanish speaking people around me as I did before. The food is different. The music is different. Everything, all of my experiences were quite unique. And it was a wonderful learning experience for me because, again, I'm getting exposed to a different way of of living and being. So that, again, I share that now. So you can see that there's been a common thread throughout uh, my early life and then into my career about diversity. It's been everywhere that I, that I go. So when I started my career, I, I started in the hospitality industry. That's what I went to school for and something that I'm pretty passionate about coming, growing up in a very hospitable culture and and family, taking care of others and being of service to others. So I was drawn to that work. But after graduating and trying to find my place in business, um, I had a hard time. I bounced around quite a bit looking for a place where I could fit, where I felt like my passion and identity and and skills could be leveraged. And unfortunately, I did not find it in the hospitality industry. Around 2010 now, stumbled upon an opportunity in the nonprofit sector and started doing work there as a human resource manager. And then that was 13 years ago. <laughs> so I never looked back. So I found, I like to say that I found my home in the nonprofit sector doing HR work, which is really bringing in all of, all of that 
knowledge and skills that I gained from the hospitality industry about taking care of people into uh, the workplace. So now as an HR leader, I get to create spaces that are welcoming, that are warm, that are inclusive, and that ensure that everyone has what they need to feel comfortable and to be successful. And then today, I can fast, fast forward to today, this jumping a lot of, a lot of years here, but now I am on my own. I, I have a, a business uh, that my wife and I run doing HR and DI consulting for small to mid-sized businesses, mostly nonprofits. So I get to do this work now with multiple organizations and helping them create the cultures that produce the best results, right, from their teams. I would say two things are, are my why and, and one of the main reasons that I decided to, to leave the corporate world and start my own business is my family. That's my biggest why. It's tied back to, again, my culture and my upbringing, but my wife and our three daughters are, are everything to me. And when we had our third child uh, in 2022, I decided I want to spend more time with our kids because these early years, they fly by and you don't get another chance to do that. So... Now I get to spend a lot of time with my family while also doing work that I'm passionate about. That's very much the reason we started to fire as well. Because oh, awesome. if you look at mine and Vicky's backgrounds, if you do a little bit of LinkedIn stalking, it's huge corporate names there. Mm -hmm. But that does not give you the flexibility to necessarily do the school run on the morning or pick someone up who's not well at 2.30. You know, so absolutely, that's a passion for us here as well. I've got a question I want to ask you, which is digging into that shift from hospitality into nonprofit. What mm. did you find in the nonprofit HR world that was missing in hospitality to make you feel as though you belonged? Such a good question, because I've, I've been thinking about this for a bit and, and bring it into my work often. And, and the main difference is leadership styles. When I was in the hospitality industry, I felt like a widget. Right. I felt like I was being managed in a way that was, you have a skill set or you have a job to do, and, and this is where you do it, and this is how you do it. And it, it was very transactional. When I joined the nonprofit sector and my very first leader who hired me, I remember during my, during my onboarding, so I hadn't even started really fully doing the work. And one of her questions to me was, what are your long-term goals? I want to ensure that I set you up success and helping you reach those goals. I don't want you to be in this position for more than two years. I want you to think beyond that. And what can she do to help me? And that blew my mind. I was like, I haven't even started the job yet officially. And you're already asking me what my next role is going to be. That was... It's one of those odd ones, that question is. So I've not started yet, but you're wanting to get me out? Yes. <laughs> and that's where I started to experience this different level of leadership, where it's about taking care of your people. And then they make sure that they have, not only that they have what they need to be successful, but that they're thinking about their future and their growth and their development, something I had not experienced until then. And then the result was I wanted to work harder for her, right? Like she's looking out for me and now I'm more engaged. I'm more committed to her and the work and the organization. So it's a win-win. It is a win-win. And it's one that most people don't realize. I'm very passionate about what we call love leadership. Yes. You honestly and truly care about your people. You can get them to do things. Mm -hmm. And I don't mean in sort of like force them, but they, everyone will just want to do stuff. To. Everyone more successful. People just go above and beyond. It's fascinating, but it's not seen as a metric. How do you measure care? It's a very different one. Yeah. So we're going to come on to a bit of a 
buzz phrase. It's not a buzzword. It's a buzz phrase at the moment that we're hearing everywhere. And it's a bit of a passion of mine because I love the science behind it. And that's psychological safety. What made you so passionate about psychological safety? And what is your definition of it as well? Because everyone's got slightly different ones. Yes, yes. And I agree. It's become a bit of a buzz phrase. And there are a number of researchers and, and brilliant authors that have written many books on this topic. But for me, I'll share my personal story with it. I became aware of this, or the lack of it, I should say, when I experienced a lack of psychological safety for the first time in the workplace was during the COVID-19 pandemic. And I was a leader, an HR leader at a pretty large organization, and I didn't feel safe. Based in, and not just, obviously, the pandemic was happening to everyone or across the world. So everyone was experiencing some level of lack of safety and confusion and disorientation. When I start, when as an HR leader, when I was in meetings and participating in conversations with other leaders about how we were going to develop policies or procedures for our workforce around what we knew or thought we knew about, about the pandemic and, and how things were going to pan out, there were things being talked about that made me very uncomfortable. And I didn't feel like I could say something. I didn't feel like I could speak up without being either judged or ridiculed, which then leads to my definition of psychological safety, which is not mine, but <laughs> the way that I like to define it is creating spaces where people feel comfortable enough to express their personal views, even if it's a different one than the than quote unquote, the popular one or, or the status quo, right? So being able to challenge ideas and to have real conversation uh, around issues or difference, as opposed to feeling like what I felt, which was, I feel like if I say something here, I might get in trouble or I might, might lose my job. I don't know. There was a lot going on, right? And I use the word fear intentionally because this is where, what I started to unpack, learn more about this. And by the way, I'll throw in a little side note here that my wife is a clinical psychologist, so I benefit from <laughs> having a psychologist at home, and she was incredibly helpful in navigating that time of my career and then helping me develop this passion for creating psychological safety on teams and in the workplace. But yeah, this idea of fear, right? Because when you're responding from a place of uh, insecurity or doubt, you're not thinking critically. You're not showing up at your best. You're really in a defense mode and the reptilian brain at that point takes over and it's a life or death kind of situation, even though it isn't really, but that's how your brain is perceiving the situation. So forget being engaged at work and doing the, the best work you can do when your body is just trying to keep you alive. And I find that bit very interesting. So I've worked with a number of very large companies and I spent a bit of time in Silicon Valley. And I remember being told that I had to get comfortable with ambiguity. And I can remember sitting there going, well, you do realize if you're telling the workforce to get comfortable with ambiguity, you've just switched off the bit of their brain that's going to do innovative, creative, and critical thinking. You know, the juxtaposition, I was like, can you not see this? No, we need everyone to be comfortable with change. Well, okay, you're going to have a terrified workforce that aren't going to want anything. I want to come back to something you said in your bio where you were talking about that time up in Washington Heights, really part of that cultural community which was very hospitable, and that made you go into hospitality. I'm always fascinated by different cultures, and actually working across borders, you realize how cultural norms and a lot of our educational systems as well 
dictate how we expect to respond to things. So what triggers our fear responses, etc. Do you think growing up in that hospitable, open, supportive, big community had more of an effect on you when we locked down than say, for example, I grew up in a nuclear family where there wasn't really much else. So I was used to there not being the supporter end. Mm, that's a great question. I hadn't actually thought about that. But I would say yes, right? Because that, especially during the pandemic, right, when all of those connections were paused or stopped or lost for, at the time, we didn't know for how long, right? So not having that immediate network of support that I am so used to, right, because of my culture. So absolutely, it, it was isolating, right? And, and that's probably where a lot of the, that fear came from and, and doubt. So that's, I'm going to ponder more on that because I, I really <laughs> appreciate that question because it's so it's something I hadn't thought about. It's, it's part of my identity to be surrounded by a community. And I didn't have that done. Yeah. I just think how everybody reacted so differently. And I did spend a lot of time because I just went, oh, what's happened? Nothing really. This is normal. <laughs> Having worked remotely since 2006. But anyway, this podcast is so you want to be a leader. So let's talk about why is psychological safety so important for leaders? Yeah, great question. And I think this is where I spend a lot of my time in my work, coaching leaders, but also working with HR leaders and departments on uh, how to create the environments where leaders can, can be, are, are able to, to prioritize this and, and impact, have a positive impact on their teams. And here, leaders need to care about this because the example that I shared earlier, if any one staff member, but likely multiple, depending on the situation, are operating from this place of insecurity or fear or lack of safety, then they're not fully engaged. They're not bringing their A game, if you will. They're likely doing the bare minimum necessary to get by, to fly under the radar and not catch anyone's attention because, again, our, their minds are, are trying to protect them. And, and when they're in that position, they're withholding, they're uh, constantly calculating risk. So it's not productive, right? I also want to say that the responsibilities that, are, that have been put on leaders, uh, especially now in, the, in today's workforce, are, I don't want to say that are unfair, or unreasonable. It's just a lot. And I want to recognize that. It isn't easy. Being a leader has always been hard, right? It's, it's been challenging to manage people, develop people, especially the bigger your team, the more uh, identities and, and personalities and nuances you have to be aware of. But that's only multiplied over time. So being a leader today is, is even more challenging. And I want to recognize that. And... <laughs> At the end of the day, if we are trying to provide results for our organizations and businesses, psychological safety is key and learning how to do that with your teams and how to be more inclusive, empathic, and, and patient leader is, is going to be super important for the future. I said earlier on today, you can't measure caring. How do you measure to how much people care? In an environment where everything is measured, monitored, tracked, progressed, there's a lot of spinning plates for leaders. You've recognized that. And I think we both appreciate it from the worlds we work in. Yeah. So building psychological safety takes time and effort. And it's quite easy to quit. How do you make leaders see the benefit of their efforts and carry on going forward? Because obviously there are some people who 
we'll get it quickly and we'll feel safe and secure. There's others where you're actually unwrapping so much stuff there to make them feel safe. But it could take years. Absolutely. So that's a great question. And, and you're absolutely right. D doing this, this the, uh, I think I said it earlier, psychological safety is not a, a switch you flip. It is a daily practice and a daily commitment to being hyper aware as a leader of your team, noticing behavior, noticing body language of your own person, or even on video, you can notice some of these things. Notice slight shifts in, in the ways that people are communicating with you or with each other. Notice what problems are arising in your team that oftentimes, and this is something that I do again in my work, uh, a leader will come to me and say, my, my team isn't getting along there. They just don't like each other. I said, okay, well, let's unpack that, right? The, at the bottom, when you get to the root cause of this, it, it's usually something that can be addressed, like uh, a personality difference that the, the people are just not aware of or a communication style that needs to be I wouldn't say communication style needs to be, well, sometimes they do. They need to be tweaked or people need to just be aware of their different communication styles. But anyway, I can go on on that. But the, what I work on first with leaders, because this work is hard and it's going to be long-term, is centering on their values. That's the very first step of the work that we do with leaders, because in order for, you can't do for others what you haven't done for yourself, right? So if you are not secure yourself in your values, in your beliefs, and what gets you up every day? What's your why? Then, then you're going to have a really hard time. That's going to be an uphill battle of, of trying to build this uh, similar space for, for your team. So that's where I like to start. And, and it gives leaders the fortitude, if you will, the confidence to do this long-term and to start those ripple effects. And to your point, there's a group of folks that are just going to get this and be good and others that are going to need more time and more work. And that's where, if you're grounded on your values, you, you have that staying power. Have you ever worked with a leader where you thought, you just don't get this, you don't know what your values are, and or your values are so off the mark that actually psychological safety is not something you're ever going to develop in others? Absolutely. Yeah, those have been some tough conversations because I've done some work with a handful of leaders where, and, it, and I bring it down to, it's not so much that their, their values, their values are their values, right? Like, like, I'm glad that they are now clear about their values. But what ends up happening is that their values are now misaligned with the organization's values. And, and that happens all the time. Like, I've worked at organizations where I'm not 100% aligned with their values, but there's 80 to 90% alignment, and, and I can work with that. But if you're really far off the mark, then that's hard. And, and, and oftentimes, changing our values. That's not something that happens also overnight or that most people are willing or, or wanting to do. So you have to make a choice. And it's like, well, you can stay here and know that your values are not aligned with the organizational values and that you're constantly going to be butting up against expectations that you think are wrong or that you don't like, or you can find another organization or another workplace where you are more aligned with their values. So sometimes that is the best thing I could do for someone as coach to help them find a better place where they can be more successful and happier at the end of the day. But yeah, you're right. You have some folks that are just, it's a block. And I also recommend, again, I have therapy at home for free. <laughs> so I often recommend getting, talking to someone, a coach, a life coach, or a psychotherapist. I think that is hugely beneficial when trying to really understand our values and, and what those challenges are with our identities, right? So this last question is a little bit of us. We're called Defy Expectations because we'd like being a little bit maverick, a little bit defiant sometimes. If you could think of one of those 
pearls of defiant wisdoms or what are those things you wish you would know when you started working in leadership? Because what we're trying to do is give young people or aspiring leaders or those accidental leaders, those people who have just ended up in a leadership role, some insight from experts around the world. So what's your pearl of defiant wisdom one? Yeah, I love this question. So I will say, and this ties back to my story from my transition into the nonprofit sector, leadership is not about you. That is something I wish I had known early on because I wanted to become a leader. And I remember this, I'll be completely transparent because I wanted to make more money and I wanted the bigger title and to be higher up on the org chart and all those kinds of things that I thought were cool and that meant that I would be successful. But you can have all of those things and still be a poor leader, right? And not have people that want to work with you or that want to follow you. So so remember that leadership is not about you. It's about the people that you're leading and developing them. And that's the lesson I learned from my very first leader in the nonprofit sector and how important that is. And like you said earlier, Helen, like how much more your team and your and your staff members will want to do and work for you when you prioritize their growth and development. So yeah, that's my bit. I love that. I mean, I got into leadership for more or less the same reason. I liked having a big title and all those sort of things. And it, it wasn't until I realized that I was letting people down mm. that I realized there was so much more to it. But I think actually there are many, many, many people who are in leadership positions, some of them very, very visible in today's politics. I won't name names, where actually leadership they think is all about them. Right. And that, for me, that's the mindset shift that I'd love to be able to create a movement on here at Defy and with everybody else who I talk to who's in the same mission to really make leadership a desired career, but for the right yeah, reasons. For the right reasons. I love Not that. for the title and the money. Mm -hmm. So thank you very much, Ron, for sharing your insights. I am wonderfully passionate about psychological safety and very, very much geek out on this. But I thought that was really interesting. And I love some of that pragmatic advice. Get to know your values. Mm -hmm. understand the values you bring. And once you've got that, you've got the why. I mean, I talk about Cynic a bit. I think he's great. And that find your why really does get you out of bed in the morning. Motivation Absolutely. is temporary. Purpose is permanent. And that's mm -hmm. a really big thing for all of us to know. I love that. Well, if you have been as inspired as I have with our amazing guest, Wan, this week, Check back in as we'll be running these regularly and we are covering every aspect of the skills, behaviours and mindsets that leaders need to continuously develop themselves and evolve to thrive. Do look at our website www.defyexpectations.co.uk and remember to follow us to get notified of our next episode. Mm -hmm.